So a couple weeks ago, Craig began our series, We is Greater Than Me, and we're taking a look through the totality of Romans chapter 12, kind of a deep dive, verse by verse, through Romans 12. And he started us out with verses 1 and 2, as you do, chronologically. And he talked a lot about how we are to be continually transformed by the renewal of our mind. And what I love about that is that means that we get to be lifelong learners. That there, even as much as we might learn and we feel like we might achieve with our faith development or with our biblical aptitude or our singing voice or whatever it is, that there's always more to go. That we're lifelong learners if we are continually transformed by the renewal of our mind. And it also talks about how we are to present our bodies as God's, as worship to God. That our bodies are holy and pleasing, that our bodies are this living sacrifice presented to God, and that is our spiritual form of worship. So our walking, our talking, our, our touching, our seeing, our hearing, our speaking, everything that our body does can be presented to God as this living sacrifice, this, this spiritual form of worship. Romans 12 is remarkable, as Craig pointed out, and it is all about community. It encourages the reader and all of us to battle through the difficulties that come with living in community for the greater good. It is easier for us to think about our own personal perspective often, and it, it is harder more and more people that we involve in the conversation and the more and more perspectives that we gain. But it's necessary because we is greater than me. And I think that Paul is really leaning into this in Romans chapter 12 where he's saying, I know that it's difficult. I know that it's messy, but it is worth it because of the impact you can make when you come together as a team. Again, he talked about don't be transformed uh, or be transformed by the renewal of your mind, not conformed to the patterns of society. And then immediately he goes into the next few verses, which will be our focus for today. And I'll read these uh, from the screen. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, but we all belong to each other. This short passage is all about humility. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Because if we are thinking of ourselves more highly than, than we ought to, we are exalting ourselves and we're not leaving enough space for God to do the exalting. In James chapter 4, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and God will lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves before the Lord and God will lift you up in honor. If we think more highly of ourselves, we're putting ourselves up higher and we're not allowing space for God then to do the exalting. Over and over and over in Scripture, humility presents itself and the pattern goes like this. And we're going to get into this this morning. The pattern goes selfishness, then humility before God, then God blesses you, then you impact your community. That's how it works throughout all of Scripture. Selfishness, Humility before God, God's blessing, community impact. And I love that. And in the, but in the time that Romans was written, 
Humility wasn't seen as a virtue. In Roman society and in Greek society, it was all about pride. It was about categorizing that these folks are better than those folks, that um, one ethnicity might be better than the other. The more that you achieve intellectually or through your power and through your might, uh, the better you become based on the comparison to other people. Humility wasn't even really talked about, yet these scrappy bunch of early church Jesus followers, the scrappy bunch in the way, the scrappy bunch that Paul's writing to, were marked by their humility. Even non-Christian historians, when they, when they look back, they mark that the distinction of the early church, one of the most powerful distinctions, was that they were humble. They were humble through the way that they carried themselves, but they were humble especially through the way that they invited people in. They were hospitable. It didn't matter if it was the highest, most dignified person in the community or if it was the one who had a disability. It didn't matter if it was male or female. It didn't matter what ethnicity they came from. They're like, hey, come on in. Eat a meal with us. Let me tell you about Jesus' story, and let's make an impact on our community. They were marked by humility. And humility, like I said, is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. There are story after story after story of somebody in the Bible being humbled or maybe finding rock bottom, and then God exalting them. And in these stories— after the person is exalted by God, they immediately run to their community and make an impact. It's a we is greater than me. Truly it is. I'm just going to run through a few examples that are inspiring to me. Well, it is my birthday, right? And there's a Bible character named Samuel, just like me, right? Samuel's mom, Hannah, had a really hard time uh, conceiving a child earlier in her life, and it, was, it just brought her to despair, in, in those times, it was uh, like an identity marker that you are worthy as a woman if you can bear uh, a child, in particular a son. Year after year, month after month, day after day, Hannah's trying to conceive a child and she's unable to do it. And she's driven into what could be described as, as a deep depression where she can't even get out of bed. She's just in despair. Her heart is completely broken. But then in the beginning of 1 Samuel, it says that Hannah rises, that Hannah gets up out of bed, turns to God with faith, with a strength that comes from the faith that God is with her even in the darkest valley. Then she's blessed with a son. She names him Samuel. And then Samuel becomes one of the most prominent and important prophets in the history of Israel. That's one example. Another is a story perhaps we're familiar with, the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes to uh, the father and says, hey, give me all my inheritance. I'd be better off if, uh, if it weren't for you. I'm going to take all this money. I'm going to run off to, to Vegas, the Vegas of the time. And he squanders it all in the midst of a famine, finds himself eating, living with, uh, sleeping with the pigs. He completely forgets his family identity. He completely forgets where he came from. He forgets his faith identity that he belongs to the family of God. And then when he's in complete squalor, when he has hit complete rock bottom, it says in scripture that he came to his senses and remembers that he comes from the family of God and returns to that family. And as he's walking over the hill, the father runs to him and embraces him because what was lost is now found. And what does he do? Throws a party for the community. He says, everybody, come home. We need to celebrate. What was lost is now found. Out of humility comes God's blessing. Out of God's blessing comes an impact on the community. One more. The woman at the well, probably my favorite story in all of the Bible. 
this woman goes to the well in the middle of the day because she's humiliated to go there any other time because people spread rumors about her, people gossip about her behind her back. Some of it deserved, some of it probably not deserved. And it is there in the middle of the day she meets Jesus. She's humbled before Jesus as he understands her past and what she's been through. But then he tells her, I am the Messiah. The first person in the book of John that Jesus reveals his identity to is this woman at the well. And immediately she runs back to her town, runs back to Samaria, doesn't care about the perception people have of her anymore, says, I just met the Messiah. And they invite Jesus to stay for a few more days and it says that many, many Samaritans came to believe in the good news of Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And that brings us to our main story of today, which is Zacchaeus. I love Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Say it to me. He's a wee little man. Exactly. That's what we know about Zacchaeus. Think about that. If I, if I am uh, somehow prominent enough to be remembered like 2,000 years from now, I hope it's not that I was a wee little man like Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus was this wee little man. That's what we know about him. Um, he was also a, the chief tax collector. And what that means, and we'll get into this, is that Zacchaeus worked kind of on behalf of the, the Roman government, that he would go house to house and he would collect uh, tax to then pay like over to a different land, over to a different country of this oppressive government. And tax collectors, and I'm sure Zacchaeus as the t- chief tax collector, were known for taking a little bit extra and putting it in their pocket. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was also not popular. <laughs> he was the chief tax collector. So our focus today is going to be on Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus's uh, kind of humility, or maybe more precisely, Zacchaeus's humiliation, um, because Zacchaeus would have been humiliated in this story. We're going to walk through this story, but I would encourage you, Luke chapter 19, if you have Bibles in front of you, open it up so you can kind of read through. The words will be on the screen, but I'm not going to read them, or if even on your Bible app, Luke, or yeah, Luke chapter 19. So I'll set the scene um, a little bit. Jesus has gained notoriety in the land. Jesus has kind of this celebrity status, almost like, almost like you 2 or something, where people are like, oh, what town is he going to be in next? Like, we have to reserve our spots. And they would put, like, the metaphorical, like, lawn chair out in the road and stand their ground like uh, Jesus coming on the parade. Like, we've got our spot, Right. And so Zacchaeus, or I'm sorry, Jesus is coming through Zacchaeus' town. He enters into Jericho, and the rumors spread. He's here, he's here. Everybody, including Zacchaeus, just wants to get eyes on Jesus. And they hope maybe he'll stop right in front of me and he'll give one of his famous messages. Maybe he'll heal somebody right in front of me. Maybe he'll perform a miracle that we've heard of. They just want to get their eyes on Jesus. But What do we know about Zacchaeus? He's a wee little man. He can't see above the people. And I would imagine he's trying to like push his way to the front of the line, but they're like, no way. I've been saving this spot, Zacchaeus. Back of the line. Back of the line. And so what does Zacchaeus do? We know from our our Sunday school songs that uh, Zacchaeus runs to the sycamore tree. Now this ladder is going to be my sycamore tree, okay? He runs like, whoa, I just got to see him. He climbs up, looking everywhere for him. Where is he? Where is Jesus? Now, here's the thing about sycamore trees. There's going to be a picture of them up there. Sycamore trees are very large, and they're very, like, messy. They kind of take over whatever area they occupy. So you wouldn't build buildings next to it. You probably wouldn't even have, like, other trees because they're just kind of these, like, messy, like, sticky trees. 
and they're prominent. They're high up. So Zacchaeus, as he's running to this tree, everyone, including Jesus, would have noticed. And he's up there like, oh, I just got to get eyes on this guy. I just got to see him. Everybody would have turned. Now remember, Zacchaeus is this wee little man. Zacchaeus is this despicable tax collector that nobody likes. Imagine the, the, the murmuring. Imagine the jokes that were made as he kind of wandered over there. Like, yo, let's go, wee little man climbing the tree. Imagine. Also, Zacchaeus has achieved a status. Zacchaeus has become uh, this chief tax collector. He has an amount of wealth with him that maybe other uh, people in the town don't. He has a in his mind, I'm sure, a certain amount of dignity uh, regarded to his status. But what he did just then, climbing up the sycamore tree, would have been very undignified. His, for someone of status, they would not have wanted to like hustle or exert themselves. And if, if even like their calf were to show, that would have been very undignified. And you can imagine as he goes up, maybe his robe gets caught on a, on a tree and they see a little bit of his guy thigh. Maybe he goes up and, and he's like, he looks silly. He's humiliated. He's humiliated in front of these people, but he doesn't care. He forsakes his status. He, he humbles himself um, intentionally or unintentionally because all he wants to do is get his eyes on Jesus. He has faith enough to think, if I can see him, maybe I can capture some of what everybody has been talking about. He sees Jesus. Jesus sees him up in this tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. Come down in an instant. And I wondered, for just a moment, would this have been amazing for Zacchaeus that Jesus is talking to him? Or, unintentionally maybe, would this contribute to his humiliation? And it reminds me of a story. I was at a St. Paul Saints game when I was young, um, back when they were like by the state fairgrounds in the older stadium. And they did a promotion where uh, you, uh, beyond the right field wall, past like a home run, there was a Velcro wall that someone would like be strapped to, like Velcroed to this wall. And I think the deal was if you could stay up on the wall for, uh, for the whole game, I think you got a $100 gift card. But... If by chance somebody were to hit a home run to you on the Velcro wall and you were to catch it without falling off the Velcro wall, I think, I think if I remember right, you won $100,000, which is pretty amazing. But like, that's not going to happen, certainly. I'm at this game. I'm laughing at this guy on the Velcro wall, maybe like they were laughing at Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. And sure enough, right-handed batter comes up cranks a home run over to right field, and it's going right for the Velcro guy up there. I'm like, no way, no way. He's got his glove on his hand, and he can't move much or else he would fall off the Velcro wall. And the ball sails, and it hits the heel of his glove and drops, and he didn't catch it. It just hangs his head. And in, like, Saints fashion, of course, the PA announcer is going to be all over this. And he's like, you blew it! It's like, like totally singling him out in front of everybody. He, I remember him distinctively saying, the odds are astronomical that a ball would be hit to your glove. And you blew it! I'm just thinking, this poor guy, he's singled out, he's humiliated in front of everybody. And I don't remember if he ever, like, made it to the end of the game. If I were him, I'd just be like, I'm done with this. I'm getting down. I'm going to get rid of my $100 gift card. No more Velcro suit. I'm out of here. And I wonder if in that moment, as Jesus calls up to Zacchaeus, as if everybody didn't notice him already, now they do. Every head would have turned as he goes, Zacchaeus, get down from there. And everyone sees him up there. And he freezes. But then something remarkable happens. 
Jesus invites him over, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there in an instant. I must have dinner with you tonight. Now, this was the invitation that everybody in the town was hoping for. They were standing there with their fingers crossed, hoping that Jesus would invite, them, would invite himself over to their house. This would have been the highest place of honor in the town. And he invites Zacchaeus. So now, if the murmuring hadn't already started by him being silly, climbing up the tree, it certainly would now. Like, what? Him? Zacchaeus? And sure enough, the murmuring does happen. The people say, how could Jesus have chosen him? How could Jesus have picked the sinner, this despicable wee little man? He's so small. Why would they pick him? I'm better than him. They start comparing. They start elevating themselves, exalting themselves above Zacchaeus. They make it a me is greater than Zacchaeus situation. They make it a me is greater than we collectively situation. But Zacchaeus, it says, stood up and says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and anyone who I've wronged I will pay back four times over. So Zacchaeus, out of his humility, out of his humiliation, jumps down from the tree and immediately wants to make a community impact. Here and now, at this moment, I give half my possessions to the poor. Anyone who I've wronged, I will pay back four times over. And then Jesus says a very remarkable statement. Jesus, addressing the crowd as well as Zacchaeus, says, Today, salvation has come to your house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So he says, community, Today, through Zacchaeus, the despicable wee little man, salvation has come to you today. Through Zacchaeus and his faith, salvation has come to this house because remember, he too is family. He too comes from Abraham just like you. Do not compare. Do not elevate yourselves over anyone else because it is through Zacchaeus and his humility today that this community has found salvation and remembered that they are family together. But I want to backtrack for a second because I noticed something interested, interesting in this, in this passage. It says that Zacchaeus stood up. I always thought it was Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. He comes down and says his statement. Jesus says, salvation comes. But there's a little tiny itty-bitty passage in there that says Zacchaeus stood up. And I wonder about this. Was Zacchaeus, like, up in the tree? Everyone looks at him, he's, he gets flustered, maybe, and Jesus says, like, come down in an instant. And he's so obedient to Jesus that he just, like, jumps for it and falls on the ground, maybe. Or maybe his humiliation gets compounded, where he's like, come down from there. And he's like, okay, and he, I don't know, does he, like, slip and fall? Like, I wonder about this, but Zacchaeus was on the ground, then he stood up. And said, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. Anyone who I've wronged, I will pay back four times over. Zacchaeus stood up. So many times in life, we're going to get knocked to the ground. So many times in life, we're going to get humbled, whether we deserve it or not. Our response is that we should stand up before God as our bodies, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, our spiritual act of worship, so that we can influence and make an impact on our community. Zacchaeus stood up, just like Hannah 
in 1 Samuel when she stood up from her bed, was blessed with Samuel, was blessed, blessed the community. Like the prodigal son who was in squalor, stood up, came to his senses, offered his body as worship to God and said, I'm coming back. Like the woman at the well who got up from her place at the well and ran to her community to make an impact. Wherever you're at today in life, wherever you're at in your faith formation, if you're like itty-bitty status or you feel like you're a faith giant, come down, as Jesus said, then stand up and say, yes, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm ready to make an impact. Because the, the pattern goes, selfishness, humility before God, God's blessing, community impact. Selfishness, humility before God, God's blessing, community impact. I love that. Zacchaeus stands up. The wee little man has never been so tall as he was in that moment. He falls from the tree in awe of the presence of Jesus. He stands up and says, Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. Anyone who I've wronged, I will pay back four times over. This is an example of new life in Jesus. In an instant, Zacchaeus is a new creation. He's a new man. He accepts Jesus' invitation. He stands up and he says, I'll, Here and now, I'll give half my possessions to the poor. Anyone who I've wronged, I will give back four times over. New life in Jesus is possible. It is possible for every single one of us. But we cannot compare. We cannot uh, elevate ourselves above anybody else. We must be humble before God so that God can do the exalting. Then, New life in Jesus is recognized by the response of the believer in that moment. If you have new life in Jesus, you can't help but impact your community. Story after story after story in the Bible, again, the pattern goes selfishness, humility, God's blessing, community impact. We cannot impact our community without a humble perspective. We cannot have a humble perspective if we are categorizing things in an us versus them fashion. As our verse of the day goes on, it says we are the body. There's no space for categorizing and comparing in the body of Christ. The, the hand is not greater than the foot, right? The heart is not more important than, than the arms. All are necessary pieces of the body so that we can make a community impact. We is greater than me. We is greater than me. All people are created in the image of God, and all people have an opportunity to make a community impact based on that. So where do your gifts fit in? And do not compare your gifts to somebody else because all are necessary in the kingdom of God. So back to the ladder. Now the ladder's not a tree, but it's a ladder. Okay? In, in our cultural perspective, and I think even in our faith perspective, we're focused on achievement. And that's not necessarily bad. But again, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Our goal, uh, it seems, is to achieve either the metaphorical or the literal penthouse, right? We want to get as high up as we can on the ladder. We want to get to the top of the building to have the fanciest apartment that we can see out through everything. But as in a ladder and true in a penthouse, the farther up you get, the more narrow it gets, the lonelier it is. The farther up you get, the, the more you separate yourself from others. And that is part of what the American dream teaches us. But I don't think that that's necessarily what the kingdom of God is like. 
we need to remove ourselves from the pressure to achieve, 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 thinking that we can achieve the presence of God through checking off all of our uh, devotional boxes, through coming to church 52 weeks in a row. Of course, that's wonderful. But if you're doing that in order to exalt yourself, to think that yourself is higher than you ought, then I don't think you're entering into the presence of God until Jesus invites you to get down from the top, get down from the achievement, don't worry about that, and come to the patio. We need to get out of our penthouse dreams that we are in, and we need to live on the patio, because it is in the patio that we start hearing stories, that we start uh, uh, telling our own stories, that we recognize that there's beauty, that there's excitement in all people, and that then, in the we is greater than me model, in the body of Christ, there is no space for the isms that divide us. There's no space in the body of Christ for sexism, for ableism, for racism, for nationalism, for any other disgusting ism that you can think of that divide us from each other. We are to be united in Jesus as the body of Christ. We need to get out of our penthouse minds and down to the patio where we can embrace one another and truly, truly believe that we is greater than me. And in doing so, we as a community, as well as individuals, will have new life in Jesus and we can't help then but impact our community. Let's pray. God bless us going forward that we would not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but that we would embrace one another regardless of who we are and where we come from and what we look like, regardless of what status we feel like we have achieved in our faith formation, God, that you meet all of us where we're at, that you call us to get down from our lofty high towers and compel us to impact our community immediately. God, thank you for humility that you teach us that it is not about us as individuals, but it is about us as communities coming together in your name as the body of Christ so that we can impact the community around us. We love you and we pray for your presence in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.